Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 4. And in that day, seven women will take hold of one man, saying, We'll eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely, for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. There shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and from covert from the storm and from rain. Loved in our Lord Jesus Christ, verses 2 and 3 especially, which speaks about the branch. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. The vision of which chapter 4 is the conclusion and climax, you'll remember begins in chapter 2. And we had a sermon on those two verses also, didn't we? And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Those are words are comfort to the elect remnant over against all the threats of judgment that are coming to the apostate wicked. And the elect might wonder, is there any hope for the church? at least the church of that day, but let's also look today at the church. Persecuted throughout the world, much of the church apostate, walking in their own thoughts and their own ways instead of the Lord's ways, what will become of us? And so not only is there, you'll remember, the terrible judgments that are going to come upon the wicked, but also the beautiful promise and comfort and joy and hope for those who fear the Lord, who do not turn away from him. And how does this all take place? And now chapter 4 is one of those messianic passages that talk about the branch, Christ Jesus. That's a theme that comes through the latter prophets. Isaiah, first of all, uses that term. 
Then about 150 years later, it is the prophet Jeremiah who is there during the Babylonian captivity, and finally he is even forced by some in Israel to go to Egypt. We read in Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. And then we go to shortly after the captivity with the prophet Zechariah. And twice over he uses that name of Christ Jesus, the branch, And I'm looking at, first of all, Zechariah 3, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Then in Zechariah 6, verse 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speak. Speaketh the Lord, the host, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. The branch. Different aspects now look at of the person and the work of our Messiah. Here in Isaiah, he is the son of glory. In Jeremiah, he is the son of David. In Zechariah, first of all, he's pictured as Jehovah's servant. And then he is also pictured as the son of man. All these different descriptions because our Savior is so great and so wonderful. And so there's four different aspects of his glory. We find that also, don't we, in the four Gospels, where there are different descriptions of Christ Jesus pointing out different things about his person and his work. Matthew writes for a Jewish audience. How he represents Jesus as the son of David, the Messiah promised to the fathers. And that's why there's all those genealogies. Mark traces the career of Jesus, who, although he was God, made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. So there it's the actions of Jesus Christ. Go to the gospel of Luke. And there he pictures, as he's writing to the Gentiles, the Son of Man, the man par excellence, the seed of the woman, who, by conquering Satan, redeems men from all nations. And that's why these, the genealogies in Luke go all the way back to Adam, the father of everyone. And finally, there is John. John has no genealogies. Why? Because John is pointing out to Jesus' divine origin. The glory that he had with his Father from all eternity. We read in John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Different glimpses of the Savior here in the Old Testament as the branch, in the New Testament as Jesus Christ, who was born, suffered, died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. So we'll look at the theme, the branch. First of all, who is this branch? What does he do? 
And then thirdly, the result or the consequences of his work. So, the setting, the context of this beautiful prophecy is terrible darkness, isn't it? When you read through the rest of chapter 2, and when you read through especially chapter 3, what darkness, what sin, what pride, it's an ugly picture. We shouldn't be surprised that this beautiful promise comes in the midst of that kind of darkness. Because it's in the darkness that we see the light all the more glorious, isn't it? When I went with my wife to her humble beginnings in North Dakota, where there's not much of anything except groundhogs, and it's very, very dark at night, you look up in the sky and you say, I didn't know there were this many stars. Look at how bright it is, how glorious it is. In the darkness of our sin and our unworthiness of salvation, oh, Jerusalem and Judah, behold the God-given Savior who is called the branch. I want you to notice that our text says, in that day. That's the seventh time that we find that little phrase in our pericope from Isaiah 2 through 4, in that day. What day? That day that announces the punishment and the wrath of God against sin and all the suffering. It is also the day of separation. When the Lord, through judgment, removes the wicked. And it's a day in which God will then purge his church. And so that is the day that is the salvation of the church. For, yes, Israel will be redeemed with judgment. That's why we look forward to the last judgment day, isn't it? Now every day we have to contend with the wickedness of this world and the wickedness in our own hearts and the devil and his minions going with him. But on the judgment day, by judgment, they are removed from us forever down in hell while we are gathered to be with our Savior forever. What was the Old Testament church was glorying in her own strength and glorying in her pretty hair and the gems that she is wearing She's full of pride, but it is only an outward beauty. Tinkling ornaments, chains and bracelets, beautiful clothing and jewels. Judgment. Instead of the sweet smells that she likes to put on herself, she's going to stink. Instead of beautiful hair, baldness, emptiness, Morning, all that false beauty will be stripped away, and the Lord Himself will be the true beauty of His church, the elect remnant. Isaiah 4, verse 2 In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of. Judah. Oh, beloved, do you have that view of Christ Jesus? He is beautiful and glorious. As we read later on in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. A light that's far brighter and far more glorious than all the stars in the sky in North Dakota. What is that branch? Well, let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 5. 
We read there, although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not yet grow. There is some kind of growth that's promised for Israel. And you boys and girls, you know from your catechism lessons that what seemed to be a beautiful thing with King David's line there, when all the enemies of Israel were destroyed, and then especially the reign of Solomon, the peace and prosperity of the kingdom, how that all grew dim in Isaiah's day. Where is that line of David? The last one was taken out to Babylon and his eyes were cut out. And there would not be another king from the line of David to sit upon an earthly throne. They come back from captivity and their land is desolate. What is the promise about that growth? Well, over against how the Lord is going to make them bald and stink and take away all their outward beauty, we read in Psalm 132, verse 17, I will also clothe her priest with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. For there shall I make the horn of David to bud, for I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. I will make the horn of David to bud. The Hebrew word for branch is shima. It means a little shoot, a little sprout, a little sprig comes forth from the hard, dry ground and from the stump that was left there. It is the sprouting of a plant that's going to grow and grow and grow and be a shade for God's people. In all the desolation, desolateness of Israel, there's going to be a sprout, a shoot that is going to be glorious and beautiful. What is that sprout? Boys and girls, when we look right now out at the fields around us, do you see how tall the corn is and those big ears hanging down, almost ready to be harvested, or the soybeans turning gold so that they're drying up to be combined? Fertile fields. But that's not what is being predicted here with a sprout that's going to come that's glorious. Neither is it the hope of Israel that they themselves are going to be so strong that they're going to overcome their enemies. It's not what their own hands can produce. That sprout, the branch, it is not the redeemed remnant itself. She is not to hope in herself and what she is going to commit herself to do. But the branch is a person. What person? What glorious person could come out of Israel? Israel that seems cut off? The line of David soon not to be seen at all and again. Verse 1 of our chapter, chapter 4. The women. All of them striving just to get a man for some kind of continuation and come underneath his protection because the days would be so bad. The branch promised is our Savior. More clearly identified in Isaiah chapter 11. Let me read those first five verses. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after his sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, 
but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And the righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. A person. Do you see the Lord Jesus Christ? The Messiah, the hope of 4,000 years of promises. The seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. And we read in Scripture that Abraham, by faith, saw his day and rejoiced. That shoot. That shoot that raises up to wonderful heights. So that, yes, the mountain of Zion is raised above the other hills. And all the nations flow to Zion over against the false beauty of Israel in herself, there is the beauty of the Savior. I want you to notice from our passage that this branch is of the Lord. Let me read that verse again. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful. That's a genitive. That means This branch comes from the Lord. That which the Lord causes to sprout in the desolateness of Zion. Zion itself can't bring forth this branch. It is the Lord who does it. So it's the source for his origin. We could translate the verse, the sprout which the Lord gives. The sprout that the Lord causes to sprout up. On the foreground of this prophecy is what the Lord does. It is of the Lord. It's his sprout. It is his branch. It comes from him. He gives him. He will cause him to reign. On the foreground of this prophecy, it's what the Lord does because Israel herself is barren. Israel is cut off. Israel is without hope in herself. The branch comes from the Lord. And so the principle of the prophecy that we have here in Isaiah is the divine origin of the branch. It points to his deity. He is the offspring, the shoot of Jehovah. He is God's only begotten Son. He is the Word incarnate. But now notice the parallelism in that verse. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely. That's Hebrew parallelism. That means those two phrases mean the same thing except it expands on it. Who is this person? Well, he's divine. He is God. But notice he is also the fruit of the earth. It points to his humanity. That means, beloved, that the Savior is going to be one of us. As I said, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed out of the tribe of Judah, the seed of David, born in Bethlehem, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He is the one that the Lord is going to cause to shoot forth. So he is from the Lord. And he is also of our nature so that he may come to help us and stand in our place. The divine and the human natures of the branch. Oh, how fruitful is the messianic age. What a contrast. Israel on herself, walking in sin, is going to to become very desolate. 
desolate not only in the last years of the kingdom, not only desolate in the Babylonian captivity, but also rather desolate even as she comes back from Babylon. Israel looked for glory and beauty for herself. Or she looked for her beauty by relying upon other strange nations around her. But her beauty, her true glory, lies only in the promised seed in whom the blessing was to come, that little shoot, that little sprout, that branch that comes out of the barren ground. The branch, beloved, is the church's honor and pride. The branch is our beauty and our glory. And that branch is not promised to all, but it is promised to the remnant, according to grace. Notice, we read, the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. Those who are, verse 3, left in Zion, he that remaineth in Jerusalem. What you see there is God's judgment removing the wicked, and those that remain there are that elect remnant, that booth in a cucumber field, small of herself, but precious to the Lord. Notice, second of all then, in your outline, it brings fruit, wonderful fruit. The phrase that points to uh, uh, Messiah's humanity the seed of the woman, he is going to be a blessing for God's people. God gives him. So notice then the beauty and the glory of the branch. For we read, in that day the branch shall be beautiful. Contrasted, of course, to the ugliness, the false, the counterfeit beauty and glory that Judah wanted to rejoice in. She was hoping that her own strength, she was hoping that she could be prosperous of herself. And she was looking to all the other nations to help her become that. Those dancing daughters of Jerusalem are so proud about their hair and their tinkling ornaments and their rings. We read of that in Isaiah 3, 6 through 24. In contrast to that false beauty, there is the beauty of the branch's person and his wonderful work. Isn't that why we love perhaps that one hymn, Beautiful Savior? What a Savior you and I are given of God. One of us so that he may save us. Of ourselves, we are like Jerusalem and Judah in Isaiah's day, aren't we? Isaiah chapter 28 identifies this as all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there's no clean place. Do you know that of your own heart by nature? Or in Isaiah chapter 36 verse 12, when the enemy comes against Israel and they are talking to the people, and of course Hezekiah really doesn't want him to speak to the people and scare them, the leader of the Assyrian army says, what? Look at them. They are men sitting upon a wall, eating their own dung and drinking their own piss. I don't use those words lightly. That's God's scripture. That was Israel of themselves in their sin, the very reason why eventually they would be led off into captivity. Us by nature, but washed. Verse 4, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion 
and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Purged. Purged by the blood that was shed. Old Testament types, all the oxen and all the sheep slaughtered day after day after day And because the blood of goats and of bulls does not take away any sins, that's why those priests had to do it day after day after day, as the author of Hebrews points out. There's no rest for them. Until finally Christ Jesus comes. And Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews is pictured as that priest who performed the sacrifice himself on the the cross. And having offered that sacrifice once, he sat down. Because that one offering upon the cross, his blood poured out for guilty sinners like you and me, purges us from all of our sins. Won't you agree with me? Isn't he only beautiful in his person, but also beautiful in his work? And verse 5, the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies. He's going to do some creation. And boys and girls, when you think of the beginning of Genesis when God spoke and things instantly came into being. Or when we think of on the sixth day when by his hands he shaped us in the dust and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. Can there be any greater work than that work of creation? And the answer is yes. It is God's work of recreating that which was lost and was dead and was ugly and vile. As we read about vomit and filthiness and those other things that are on their tables. He creates new individuals, new creatures, fashioned after himself, fashioned after his image, that image that we lost in the fall in Adam, regained again in Christ Jesus by his spirit, by his word. What a word to describe our salvation. A work far greater than the original work of creation. A cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire at night. It pictures God's people as they were led by God so carefully through the wilderness and God's wonderful provisions. That wilderness was hot and dry. And there is that cloud over them by day so that they are not struck with sunstroke. But they are able to move by day and the glorious fire that is over them at night, keeping the wild animals away, lighting their way also. A picture of the presence of God with his people, leading his people, and their approach to God. And beloved, that's yours and mine also, isn't it? What a glorious work. Won't you agree? That Jesus is glorious in his incarnation. So glorious that the angels break forth in song there and the sheepfolds in Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Isn't Jesus glorious in his perfect obedience his whole life long? Those 40 days in the wilderness not having anything to eat, but always obeying the Lord, resisting temptation. And isn't the branch glorious in his work of his death and then his resurrection? Where he died in our place, taking our sins upon himself? How he rose in his own power? 
in order that he may give us that same life? Isn't the branch glorious in his ascension up into heaven and his session at the right hand of God? Christ now preparing mansions for us. Christ Jesus now with his arms stretched out the same way that he went up into heaven, pouring out his blessings on his church. And isn't Christ glorious as he sits on his throne and he rules over this world with his power so that even the wicked end up doing his will even though they don't want to? He uses all of them, all of their schemes and everything to carry out God's wise and eternal plan. And isn't he glorious as he's there on the throne ruling us by his spirit and word in grace? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? And he came the first time in a state of humiliation But we have a day coming, don't we? A day when the Lord Jesus is going to appear again in all of his glory and beauty as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to take us. Oh, how beautiful he is in his work. He's going to take us up into the new heavens and new earth with him to reign forever and ever. He's going to come with his angels, even as he comes with his angels at the death of each saint to take them home glory. He's going to come with his angels to take his elect remnant with him forever. This is for those who are the escaped of Israel. You see, the branch was not beautiful for all those of Jerusalem and Judah. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And Jesus Christ, as he is preached from the pulpit today, is not beautiful to everyone who hears about him. Not all find Jesus Christ in his birth and in his life and in his suffering and his reigning now beautiful and glorious. They reject him. They reject the preaching of the gospel. In fact, they are hardened in their sins. It is only those who, by the grace of God, held on to the promise of the Messiah, rejoiced when Christ came. And old Anna, or Simeon, or Zacharias, or Elizabeth, or a Joseph, and a Mary, It is only those who are able by the grace of God having their eyes open to see his glory that rejoice in this beautiful gift. What a gift. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And now John the disciple says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John, later on, writing in chapter 2, The beginning of miracles did Jesus in the land of Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed on him. You say, that's fine for them. They lived during Jesus' life. They could see him with these eyes, too. They could see his miracles. But what about you and me? Jesus is now in heaven. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Do you see how he is glorious and beautiful to that elect remnant? That small little segment, a hut in a vineyard, a booth in a cucumber field, what could they really hope for? What a miserable little living here on the earth. 
but they are God's chosen ones. And how beautiful in this passage also is brought out then the reason. Why is Jesus Christ so beautiful to us? And the reason is, he shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. What does that mean? Those who are written down by God in his book of life. Those whose destiny was set from eternity. Those whom he gave to Jesus Christ as a head and as a savior. Their names are written down there and no one can erase those names. Christ came. He procured your and my salvation. He is indeed beautiful and glorious. What a Savior. What protection he gives us. Verse 6. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge from a covert, from the storm and from rain. Do you feel the Lord's protection over you each day? as you walk through this valley of shadow of death, fearing no evil because he's with you? Even as the Lord was with his people in the wilderness, the Lord is, Lord Jesus is with you and me in our pilgrimage here on earth. Difficult as it is, circumstances that come upon us that we wouldn't wish for, and yet God makes it all work together for good to them that love him. How is it put in the scriptures? Jesus says, held in my Father's hand, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he who is called the branch says, and held in my hand written on those hands of Christ Jesus that were nailed to the cross and the feet that were nailed to the cross are the names of all of the saints whom he stands there representing on the cross. Saved by his grace. What a Savior. And what is, then thou thirdly, from our outline, what is the consequence of this branch and his beautiful and glorious work? Well, here's the consequence. First of all, we will experience that beauty and that glory of our Savior. We'll experience it. Because the Spirit who has given us new hearts and given us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say by faith, we grasp the beauty of our Savior. And you and I, with our mouths, we sing then our songs of adoration and praise and glory. Isn't that what our worship is all about on Sundays? We come here, not first of all to say, what am I going to get out of it? But we come here to say, God is great and glorious and we are given tongues and lips to sing his praises, to stand in his presence, to hear his voice. We experience it. We experience it, beloved, not just with head knowledge, knowing all the precious doctrines that are in God's word, that too. But with that head knowledge, there is also that heart knowledge. We know him. We know him as our Savior, our Lord. We know him as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, even as he knows us. We know him as that unspeakable gift that God has given to us, a passage that we read most Christmas times. We experience him 
because our spiritual eyes are opened and we behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and beauty. Yes. That's what our worship is all about on Sunday. But that's also what our worship is all about Monday through Saturday. Whether it be in our private devotions, whether it be in our work at our workplace, whether it be boys and girls as you study in school, we behold Christ's glory. We love him. We are eager to please him, to serve him. Yes, we know and we rejoice in the beauty and the glory of our wonderful and powerful and faithful Savior. Again, the words of a hymn, Jesus is all the world to me. He is beautiful in his person, we said, but he is also beautiful in his work. Why? Because that remnant shall be called holy. Or literally, if we look at that passage, literally, holy shall he be called. That is, he, that person. Those persons. But here it's very individualized. He that knows and loves and serves the Lord. Made and addressed holy because Christ makes us holy. Go, boys and girls, to any of the letters of Paul as he addresses the church. Yes, the church that in some places was divided, doing awful things, sinful things, but what is the address to them? To the saints that live in Ephesus, to the saints, the brothers and sisters in Corinth. Holy because Christ makes us holy. Saints. Those who, names are written in the book and verse 4, who have washed, or whom he has washed, from all the filth of their sins. Chastisement's good for us, isn't it? Chastisement was necessary for Jerusalem and Judah. They wanted to worship all other kinds of gods. They wanted to be like the other nations. They had to be driven out, chastised by Babylon, so that finally they come back and not again do they serve other gods. Well, there's other problems in their relationship. It becomes an outward religion. But he cured his people of idolatry. And so chastisement's good for us too. It hurts. But he is shaping us. He's chiseling us like a potter chisels a fine piece of pottery. Making us fit instruments of his glory in heaven. Those are the ones who are holy. Whose names are registered and written down and no one can take it away. That writing is not for just a temporary time. Oops, and all of a sudden you, some of them slip away. Not all at all. There's, this is the destiny of God's people. Written down in his book. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the new heaven and the new earth. And so you see in our passage when it re re writes about being written down it traces our salvation through our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ, to its true and its ultimate foundation, the doctrine of election. And what is our destiny? It's life, not destruction. It is praise with God. It is the inner beauty where we have been changed from dead sinners, filthy sinners, to those who reflect Christ Jesus himself. And yes, we will be wonderfully preserved. His, creation, his, his coming glory is pictured, isn't it, as a creation. 
And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. Young and old. The Lord holding us in his hand, sheltering us from the darts of the evil one, holding, preserving us preparing us for his glory. What a day that will be. Is that your desire? That more and more you may become beautiful and glorious in him who is our beauty and glory, Christ Jesus. Then after our worship today, Go back to your individual lives. Go back to your marriages. Go back to your families. Go back to your place of employment. Go back to your home. Go back, boys and girls, to school. And act like. Conduct yourself. By the grace of God, of course, as children of God, who glory in their Lord. Amen. Father, we thank Thee that in the midst of all these challenges of judgment and wrath upon the wicked, the apostate, we pray, Father, that even while many of the wicked are hardened in their sins, there are other elect wicked who through the judgments threatened are turned from their sins to Thee. That's our prayer, Father, when we are hardened in sin, that thou wilt break us and turn us more and more to thee. But in the midst of those judgments, there is this wonderful sound of joy and hope for thy children. We are preserved in Christ Jesus. We are being changed from glory to glory. And what we shall be, it does not yet appear, but we will be with Christ Jesus. Receive our thanks for that great salvation. Receive our thanks that we, not only with our heads, but our hearts, may know thee as our God, our Redeemer, our Rede Deliverer. Amen.